Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. Our quote of the day is by Gothe. One ought every day at least to hear a little song, read a good poem, see a fine picture, and if it were possible, to speak a few reasonable words. Hmm. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hirschton. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you move forward. On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with the artist Tori Wires and the true story of Muka and Bernhardt. Announcements. So our classes at the Indianapolis Art Center for the fall have gotten off to a good start uh, in October. October, I do have another class that'll be starting up then that is a sky painting class. So you can look forward to that and sign up for that if you are interested. And in just a couple weeks, I will be at the Art and Soul Retreat in Virginia Beach. And I'll be doing uh, two workshops. One is Victorian flower painting, and the other is the secret language of symbols. Both will be good fun. I look forward to seeing many of you there. Um, wanted to announce that in the next couple of podcasts I'm going to do, I'm not going to be interviewing other artists. I've gotten some great questions from people, some of whom are my students, and I think it's going to be worth me taking you know, an entire episode to answer e- several of these questions. So um, the questions are things like, how do I become a professional artist? How do I go from becoming an amateur to a professional? Um, if, and this is how this, my student phrased it, if I suck, what do I do about it? <laughs> and I'd also like to talk about um, clearing out old paintings and work that you now realize is not good. Um, and clearing the clutter, the art clutter. (laughs) So lots of big topics to chat about. If you have any questions that you know that you'd like for me to to try to answer on the show, please go to my website, theazirefineart.com, and send me a message. I'd love to consider answering your questions. All right, so now, without further ado, here's my interview with Tori Wires. Tori Wires is a fine artist and designer specializing in mixed media, screen printing, and abstract painting. Wires received her BFA from the Art Academy of Cincinnati and has a passion for creating work that engages and delights the viewer with rich visual narratives, strong composition, and unique subject matter. Wires has been a featured artist in Art Journaling Magazine, and she teaches mixed media painting and printmaking at the Indianapolis Arts Center, as well as many different in-person and online workshops and classes. 
Myers creates and shows work from her downtown Indianapolis studio in the Circle City Industrial Artist Complex, as well as her home studio in Broad Ripple. In addition, she's currently doing a 366-day drawing challenge, Woo-hoo. and you can follow her progression on Instagram. Find out more on her website at drawriot.com. Welcome, Tori. Thanks so much, Addie. It's awesome to be here. Well, thank you for coming. So what's the story of how you became an artist? Well, um, I was an only child. And uh, I was adopted. And so my parents got me when I was 18 months old. And um, it's interesting to me because I there was no other creative talent in my immediate family. But my dad's cousin, um, because he was also an only child, was an artist. And she is like a hobby. She was a painter. She had a little nook um, in her home with like artist palettes and like little samples of colors and she would paint uh, wildlife and things out of her window and a lot of it was watercolor and I always found it interesting so really little I kind of have this memory of like this secret place of artistry and when I was three my parents you know were asking me like most parents do their little kids like what do you want to be when you grow up and I was like I want to be a veterinarian (laughs) and they're like you have to go to school for seven years of college to be a veterinarian And I was like, oh, well, then I want to be an artist. And they're like, (laughs) and they're like, yeah, that's not an actual job. (laughs) And I was like, why, why not? My, you know, Aunt Joanne, which I called her my aunt, even though because of the age difference. And they're like, well, she does that as a hobby. Really, she's a commercial artist, which I didn't know, have any idea what that was. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll be that. (laughs) And so that really kind of started at that young of age. And even though it was kind of this weird runner up, like, oh, I'll be a, you know, I'll take care of animals, which I think a lot of kids like animals. Um, and then to think like, I'm going to be an artist, but that actually started like from that moment on, I really became passionate about it. I got art supplies for every Christmas, every birthday. I took classes at the art center when I was uh, young and they didn't have a lot of kids classes. So I was in adult classes kind of just doing the best I could, um, and really, like, have been passionate about my whole life. But the interesting thing is the the commercial artist or the designer kind of stuck. Um, both of my parents worked really hard. They both had college degrees. My mom went back. She was a social worker and went back to school to become a nurse, kind of mid-career. And so that drive for, you know, money and having a job that pays the bills was really important. So I kind of put more fine arts to the side and really focused on being a designer because my parents kind of accepted that as a career. And so I ended up going to art school and I have a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts with an emphasis in design. And I got out of school and became a designer and I've worked my way up from a production artist laying out, you know, like newspaper ads to the creative director of a corporate company in downtown Indy. But right about the time I started kind of climbing the corporate ladder, I realized, okay, yeah, I'm doing a creative career, but it's not, it's not my passion. It truly is a job. So I kind of getting back into finding my passion about art and going back to that kind of three-year-old self where I saw like this secret space where you do art and like live a passion really interested me. So now I'm here and I'm an artist. I can call myself an artist. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's interesting what you're talking about with the passion because I feel that there's pushes and pulls. And I've gotten this from other interviews on this podcast as well where, okay, we have their passion and then we have our finances. And it's lovely when the two can meet. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And one of my thoughts is I will uh, say this project, this is for a show that hopefully will sell. And then the next one, okay, this is going to be experimental. It's just for me. It's just for my own growth and my own passion and my own expression. Um, do you divide things up in your mind of how what they're for or any thoughts? When I started doing art, um, gosh, really focusing on art, the fine art side of things, probably seven years ago, I uh, really did it because I needed the escape from the corporate world. Because when you're a designer, especially in a corporate environment, it's like spreadsheets and style sheets and deadlines. And it's kind of crazy. It's like almost the factory of being creative, which is fine. Like, I love it. It is creative in its own way. But I wanted to explore who I was. And for me, design is really about solving a problem and meeting the needs of someone else. And art for me is about meeting my own needs and kind of finding myself. So I, at first I really did separate it and I, and I didn't show my work anywhere and I didn't like post it anywhere. And I was just doing it just for me. And I wasn't, you know, I kind of set up a studio in my basement and bought some supplies and kind of, um, I even had all the supplies from art school and all that that I kind of had put aside because I went to a traditional school where you learn the foundation of art and it was really focused on art and then kind of design was and. Um, so I got all that back out and I was I was really focused on I just need a creative outlet. So as I did that more and more, I became more confident in it um, and I kind of started to mix the two. So getting a studio and teaching classes and kind of finding my way and then I really wanted to help others find their way. So they've kind of combined more now. I do sell my work and kind of show it and having a studio in the Circle City Industrial Arts Complex, that's a name, <laughs> um, kind of lets me interact with people too and talk about, hey, I, you know, you like my work, I teach classes and, you know, you can find your passion too kind of thing. Okay. Okay. Fabulous. So you recently taught this course at the Indianapolis Art Center that's called Intuitive Painting. And I have to tell you that, you know, People, when you're not there, are all excited about this because they see the big canvases and they're like, what's going on? And I tell them, well, Tori's teaching this intuitive painting class. This is what it is. And they, they're just, everybody's excited about it. Seeing it. So the very large canvases is what Tori has people working on. Um, and in addition, I'm seeing intuitive painting as a new movement. Um, and it's come up a couple of times on the show, including podcast number 22, our interview with Carrie Schmidt. And what are your thoughts on this trend? Do you, um, what are your potential benefits to doing intuitive painting over, you know, planning it out step by step ahead of time? Your thoughts? I think um, for me, intuitive painting, especially when teaching it, kind of breaks down the barriers of art a bit for people. Um, the 36 by 36 canvases I have people get is kind of intimidating, especially when you have this big white expanse of space. And most of the people that walk into that class are like, I haven't painted in 10 years or I've never painted. Um, but they can see the work and they see that it's kind of expressive. Um, but they're also intimidated by it. So we start by just like using our hands and going back to finger painting and like just get rid of that blank canvas. Uh -huh. And for me, I think it's about, I kind of approach 
may approach it maybe differently because I teach them, you know, some foundational skills of how to paint, meaning how to hold a brush and how to think about composition. But then we don't really apply the rules of those things to the, the painting. It just gives them that ability to feel confident with the materials. Okay. And then we look at it as how do you find your style? So how do you express yourself and free yourself to find who you are, find your style? And I really focus the class on um, finding your own way in the piece. And I do a piece up front and I'll paint with them so they can kind of see it in action. But then really encourage them to be like, find your own way to hold the brush. Find Like, here's the correct way, quote unquote, but then find your own way and experiment. And probably the mixing colors class I do in that series is probably where a lot of people have this aha moment. Because I talk about almost everybody uses the color right out of the tube because they don't know, right? And I let them do that for the first two classes because we're really talking about like marks and shapes and putting paint on the canvas and we're building layers. But by about the third or fourth class, we talk about mixing color and I show them the basics of, you know, the primaries and what you get from them. But then I talk about just experimenting with color and finding colors just you love, that you just look at and love. And that can be the foundation of your own style. And that's when everybody kind of gets excited and takes off because they can, they feel like they own it then. So I mixed this weird green and it's my green and they stop using the paint out of the bottles and they start mixing all their own colors mm -hmm. and everything kind of comes to life. Yeah. Oh, nice. Very nice. What advice would you give to your younger artist self? Hmm. I would say... Gosh, there were so many moments where I was kind of told that I wasn't good enough to be a fine artist. It was kind of a weird thing, like going to art school with a bunch of fine artists, and they kind of split you about after the foundation, they split you, I want to say the beginning of the end of sophomore year, maybe the beginning of junior year. And they have illustration that you can take on the design side, which I took, and they had, I had some really amazing um, peers in my class that just had way interesting styles and had a lot of um, foundational work that they had obviously done. And they just had like raw talent. Like it was just amazing work. And I didn't really have that because I had focused on design so much. And I remember my teacher, and I think back to this constantly, especially now that I have kind of come into my own style. I, my teacher said, yeah, these are nice. I don't think being an illustrator or doing this type of work is for you. You should focus on design. <laughs> so like in that moment, you know, being, you know, like 19 and I was like, okay. And it was almost back to when my parents were like, yeah, that's not a career. Right. So do design. It was almost kind of that same feeling. And I kind of listened and I kind of didn't, I felt like he was wrong, but I was also had kind of focused, hyper-focused on this design career. So I was like, okay, well, it doesn't matter because I have design. But now I think back to that constantly, and I'm really careful about the way I talk to people about their work and encourage them, especially new artists, because it means all the difference in the world. And I think if I could go back and stand over my shoulder as that teacher said that to me, I would say, no, he is wrong. That feeling you have, he's wrong. And every style counts. And every you know, different look counts as art and you're fine. Just keep going. Right on. Awesome. 
what's the main message you're trying to convey with your work? I think um, there's a couple of different messages. I am kind of exploring who I am because being adopted and really having all that whole part of me kind of closed off, I'm almost trying to tap into some kind of mystery. And so I explore like this very expressive, and that's kind of the intuitive thing, like just what can I kind of push out of me and find in myself? Um, and I'm also kind of exploring the concept of freedom, you know, the ability to just explore the creative process and just be free to do whatever I want and kind of break whatever rules I think exist um, through medium and through size and shape and composition and just kind of blow it all up and explore that. <laughs> it's revolutionary. <laughs> So my next question is, what big projects do you have in the works for the future? And then also maybe you can talk about your 366-day project and why that started and what's the impetus behind that and, and maybe what's going to happen after it's done. <laughs> so this is my second time. I'm in my second year of the 366-day project. Oh. Yeah, so I did it all last year. Um and it was kind of crazy because I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> and I'd actually started, you know, you see a lot of artists share like 30 day challenges and there are some artists out there that do like something every day. And a lot of them do it, you know, in whatever. So they might do an illustration and they'll do an illustration every day or an ink drawing every day. But I haven't seen a lot of artists just do something every day. And I really wanted to explore any medium it was kind of an outlet for me when I started it last year. Any medium I wanted on any day, they didn't have to connect. They could be mixed media one day, blobs of paint, an illustration, like whatever. Um, and I found it really freeing because it was kind of my own little personal like book where I could just do whatever. It didn't have to mean anything or be anything. And as I started to share it, like people were interested and they liked the variety of it. And it's interesting because I get some followers, you know, loving whatever layer or texture or color I had and other followers being like, oh, that illustration of that weird guy in a hat is so cool. And I like that it that has so much variety that it's just, it doesn't have to be anything. It's just whatever. And my only commitment was do something every day, even if it's just lines on a page. Um, and so I finished it and I thought, and I had all these people like all excited about like, oh my gosh, you did it. It's amazing. You've inspired me. You've inspired me. So I started this year and a bunch of people asked me like, where did you get the books? I'm using a tiny extra small moleskin. So it's really small. It's like two and a half by three and a half because I needed something I could commit to. Okay. I'd started like monthly challenges and the concept of doing something every day and I just couldn't make it happen. And I feel like I just wasn't ready to commit really is what it was. And so when I got this book and I looked at it and I was like, no, I, I'm committing. And when you were like really commit to yourself, I feel like you could do anything. So I did that um, all last year and then I started this year and a bunch of people started with me. It was really interesting. And some of those people are still like sticking it out and they kind of tag me and it's neat to see how they're exploring their creative selves. Um, but I think they found it easier to commit to something small too. And we're all kind of growing together. Yeah. Yeah, my, my own experience with the challenges, and I've only ever done the 30-day challenges, and um, but you really grow because you 
did have to do something every single day. And I always, wondering if you find this too, um, I've had days where, okay, I have to post this thing that I did and I'm not really proud of it. <laughs> but, you know, then a couple days later, there'll be one that's like, okay, yes, this is exactly what I was going for. And I had to do all of them to get to the good ones. Um, have you had any where you thought, oh, I don't want to post this, but I have to post today? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are lots of days in last year and already lots of days in this year <clears throat> where I am like, this is the worst thing I've ever done. This is horrible. <laughs> and I don't know. Sometimes it's just not working. You know, committing to it means you're doing it when you're on vacation and holidays and like every day. And some days you just don't feel it. But I think that... Um, by committing to it and just doing it anyway, it's like that might not be your best day. And you may have amazing work come out that day, but it's okay. And I feel like posting what I feel are kind of a failed day. And it's like I did it. And that was the only thing I had to commit to. So just making that. I didn't commit to making awesome art every day. I didn't commit to, you know, world changing art every day. It was just <laughs> a page a day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I kind of remind myself of that. And it's like, I think it's important to show every part of the process, kind of the growing part where you may feel like this page is a failure, but really it's it's the growing process part. Yeah. Last question. I can't believe we're already here. What is your favorite art book or story? So it can be a personal story. It could be an artist biography book, whatever. So I was thinking about this question, and of course I read, I've read Big Magic, and I've read like Eat, Pray, Love, both by Elizabeth Gilbert, and they're awesome. Um, but I was thinking back to when I really decided I needed to do art and kind of bring it back into my life, and I wrote this title down because I'm horrible at remembering things like this, but the book is called The Crossroads of Should and Must, Find your, and Follow Your Passion by Ella, Ellie Luna. I think that's how you would say it. Um, and it's a really short book. I bought it on Amazon. It's like a digital book you can download and you can read it in a day, but it was about, and what really stuck with me is she has having this dream constantly of this room. It was a white room, kind of industrial style with like big industrial windows. And she, um, was in a career and she had previously done art and she's having this dream. And her friend was saying, you know, have you tried to find your dream in real life? And she's like, well, that's absurd. That's no, I have not. <laughs> but it kept, she kept dreaming it. And so she decided, I'm just going to go out. I don't even know what to search for, but I'm just going to go out and look at listings and see if I can find this room. This seems crazy. Okay. But she found it. And it actually had an open house that next day. And so she went to it and like being in the space, it was like exactly like her dream being in the space. She's like, I have to have this space. And there was a bunch of other people looking at it. It was in San Francisco. And so she filled out her application and she moved in two weeks later and she's like, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> like she had like her box of stuff and her dog and she's in this place of her dream. And this little voice was like, you need to paint. So she kind of found herself and, you know, the whole book is about kind of finding your passion and following your dreams and that crossroads of like when you feel like you need to be doing something else. Um, but what I also liked about it is it wasn't like a, you know, quit your job and follow your passion. It's really about how do you balance all that as well? Mm -hmm. And, um, 
she talks about Stefan Sagmeister, Sagmeister, yeah, who's a designer, actually, and he's also a creative, and he takes sabbaticals where months at a time he'll go somewhere and he'll do, like, concept work and design work somewhere else, um, like Uruguay or somewhere kind of out of the country and gets really interesting ideas. But he talks about having a job, so something, you know, you pay your bills with, having a career, meaning something you're progressing in and kind of climbing that corporate ladder, and then having what does he say? Having a calling. So what is it that calls you and what are you truly passionate about? And kind of trying to find the balance between all three of those. So the whole book is about that. And it's short and I love that you can read it quickly and kind of get excited about finding your calling and, you know, balancing your life. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I'm reminded of an illustration. It's like a little you know, one picture cartoon that I saw years ago, and it was the artist's career, and it's a table. So if a table had one leg, it would fall over. So if you only had one stream of income, then the table's going to fall. So the table has like, you know, you're teaching and you're you're selling paintings and you're doing this and you're doing that. And, and then you have a balance and you have a stable foundation. It's not quite what you're saying from this guy. Cause he's, he's also, okay. He's got his magnum opus, his real calling. And that's not quite the same, but I'm just reminded. Yeah. So, well, Tori, it was great, great, fabulous to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. It was awesome. And now for the true story of Muka and Bernhardt. On December 26, 1894, Alphonse Muka was working in a print shop correcting proofs in Paris, France. The famous actress Sarah Bernhardt came in and ordered a new poster design to be created for her upcoming theater show, Gizmonda. Muka had never created an advertising poster design before, but he was the only artist available to take the job. Bernhardt needed the job done in just a few days, so Muka took on the project despite the short notice and the holiday festivities. Using Bernhardt's beauty as his inspiration, he created a dynamic design. Soon, Muka's muse, Bernhardt, became his salvation. When the poster was printed, Muka's boss did not care for the design. Hmm. He gave it to Bernhardt anyway, however, because she had wanted the job done quickly. When the actress received the package, she sent for Muka to come visit her apartment immediately. He arrived. Bernhardt embraced him. She told him, You have made me immortal. She loved the poster and asked Muka to sign a six-year contract to produce more posters as well as dress designs. Muka became a Parisian celebrity overnight when the new poster hit the streets on January 1st, 1895. He continued to work successfully as an illustrator and painter until his death in the 1930s. My thoughts on this story. What's striking is how Muka's boss did not care for the first poster design. And he had wanted 
to not send it to Bernhardt. He was embarrassed by it. He thought it was crap. What if he had refused to give the poster to Bernhardt? Mucha's success relied on the favor of just a couple of individuals and this um, by-chance circumstance. And I think, too, that in the art world, there's a lot of gatekeepers. And these gatekeepers, they do their jobs. You know, they, they look for art or, I don't know, writing or any number of things that they think is a sure bet it will sell. And the only problem with that is that if you're looking for a sure bet, you look to the past and you see, oh, what designs sold really well before. But then there's no room for innovation. There's no room for growth. There's no room for um, what does the public actually want? They want a fresh look. And if all you're ever doing is selecting work you think will sell because you've looked at what people bought last year, you're going to miss the boat on, um, on great new stuff. And I think the important thing to remember as an artist from this story is that you will have gatekeepers in your life. And they are doing the best they can, but they are limited by their own experience, by the pressures of sales and all of those things. But art is about innovation. It's about expressing yourself as honestly as possible. And we're not going to get that if all we ever do is speak to um, what we think the gatekeepers will want. Um, and then back to Gothe's quote that I said at the very beginning of this podcast. One ought every day at least to hear a little song, to read a good poem, to see a fine picture, and if it were possible to speak a few reasonable words. And I think what he was saying with that is that we want balance. We want to have a little bit of creativity every day, just as Tori is doing with her challenge. We want to have a little music, a little song. We, we want to have a balanced life. And to get that, we, we have to dance around a little bit. <laughs> I hope that you are all able to find balance just as I am striving to do right now. <laughs> All right, so the story of Mucha and Bernhard and many others are available in my book, The Alchemy of Art Stories for the Classroom. This concludes our Alchemy of Art podcast for today. Maybe these stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com.
That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.